Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. Welcome everyone and welcome to this week's guest, Marie Alessi. Marie, how are you? I'm really good. How are you, Ian? Really good. It's cool to be talking to someone who works in a similar space. I agree. Yeah. Man, I really enjoyed being on your podcast a while back. For those people who are regular listeners to the podcast would have heard that because I did put it on mm. my podcast as well. Not oh, so long beautiful. Ago. Yeah. And I think I said to you at the time, I really enjoyed I really enjoyed that you were able to bring out a whole different way of telling my story that I hadn't done before. Mm. And I really loved it. It was yeah. vulnerable and I, I really appreciated that you shared it so openly. Yeah, I did too, and I appreciated the space you held for me while we did that. That was cool. So now we get to reverse the roles. So um, I won't uh, go into too much detail about the journey, but we we connected on LinkedIn because Mm -hmm. of that. We're both working in the grief space. So tell our listeners, Marie, what is it that you do and how long have you been doing that for? So what is it that I do in a nutshell would probably be um, with a label that I sort of like. It's uh, grief coaching. So I I just literally hold space for people who are in a space of grief, but I always look at the healing path. So I'll always focus on the healing rather than on the grief. For me, grief is something that happens on the sideline naturally if we focus on the healing. And uh, how long have I been doing that? Was that your other question? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the coaching per se for over a decade, the focusing on the healing space in terms of grief, um, probably for over three years now. Yeah. I'd be interested to hear as you look back on that previous 10 years, is a lot of what you were doing was helping people with their grief, even if you didn't know it through that lens at the time? Oh, 100%. Yes. Yeah, because it's all about, you know, for me, if I could sum it up in one word, what I do, it's a shifting of perspective. That's a huge part of healing, really looking at things from different angles. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. All right, mm-hmm. let's get more into the nitty-gritty. So where yeah. whereabouts on the grief journey are you helping people? Because I know we've yeah. talked about that. We, we do come at a different angle. Um, yeah. So you see, whereabouts on that grief journey? And, and is there a specific type of grief that, you tend mm-hmm. to attract and that you tend yes. to work with more and, the, and a type of yeah. a type of person? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I would say my main audience per se would probably be widows between 45 and 55, if you want to have the whole demographic of it. Uh, I work with relatively young widows. However, when I started uh, my movement, Loving Life After Loss, I attracted a whole lot of people that really that were driven to that, to that title, to that filter, I call it, you know, the loving love after loss part um, was the difference maker, actually the differentiator between what most grief groups offer and what I offer. It's the loving life after loss part that people were so driven to. So it automatically attracted more and more people and uh, also more and more men into the group. Although my audience is definitely predominantly female because that's who I am that's who I relate to and you usually attract those people who are quite similar on a path like you are yeah really cool Mm. and I'd love to hear a bit more about exactly the process that you take your clients through and maybe even through the lens of is there a common thread of what people are presenting when they when they show up, yeah. like if they're wanting to get to that place of loving life after loss, which I, which I love mm. that title, by the mm. way, is there a certain is there a certain patterns that you're seeing repeating, and and then how do you help? What's the sort of the start of the journey yeah. to help them to see that from a different perspective? So the start of the journey for me is always like, where do I pick people up from? And uh, it's it's such an interesting question, Ian, because the thing is for me, I don't really talk about loss with this wording anymore. I really don't like the the word loss because it can become something so completely different. It really can become a gift. And I understand I'm saying that with a whole lot of love and respect for everybody being in a different space in their journey. It can feel like a slap in the face when somebody says that to you too early. So I want to say that with a lot of respect, um, I certainly talked about loss a lot when first when Rob first passed. So Rob is my husband, for those who don't know. And um, and nowadays I don't use the word loss as much anymore. I talk about his passing. I talk about his transition. I talk about when Rob died. I don't like labeling it as loss anymore because I received so many hidden gifts in adversity. That's the one thing I talk about a lot that I don't like the word loss. It's It gives it such a negative label. And yes, it was a super painful experience in my life, don't get me wrong. Yet what you do with it is what matters in life. And I certainly created something really beautiful out of Rob's passing. So that in itself uh, already answers half of your question. You know, everybody's journey of grief is so different and it's just as unique as the person experiencing it. So I do not really follow patterns or steps per se, although I do have a healing journey with seven steps, don't get me wrong, because I feel this is like the common element. You know, we talk about shifting perspectives, that that is what is underlaying in my entire approach to the path to healing. I predominantly work with intuition. Like really when people come to me, I just, just like you, Ian, I know you do that too. I feel a lot. I feel it in even physically in my body where the pain sits and sometimes I even feel when the pain is trapped and I let myself be guided by that. However, there is a massive tool belt that I have where I'm like, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Have you? And all of that can help 
and sometimes none of that helps. It really depends on the person. But I do have my tool belt, absolutely, and I do have certain steps. Yet it's not something that I go like, okay, this is my constant approach. This is what you need to do in that order, if that makes sense. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it does. And I, and I really want to celebrate that because I see too many people out there guiding people to say, you've got to come in and do it my way and this is how you yeah. do it, particularly around something as sensitive of grief, as grief. Oh, yeah. Instead of giving them a a space where they can mm. find their own way mm. and then you being able to give them whatever the unique strategy they need. Yeah. Because I think what, again, just to, just to really celebrate that is, mm. yes, the healing is an important part of the journey. And in my own experience, I think about actually having strategies and mm. processes to follow, which will yeah. work for me. Like that's mm. been the, the absolute game changer yeah. Because then you don't feel stuck in that. And mm. again, we'll use the word loss because that's where most people. Yeah, are yeah no, absolutely. It's yeah. like, so yeah, well, I love that. Mm. I think there is a real art to uh, being able to hold space for people and get to know them in that space. So you know where you pick them up from and what you could even suggest, like really allowing yourself to be guided by that intuition and, I know that you really know what I'm talking about here because you do it so well. You know, you feel things. You you really do hold that space for people that come into your space. And I certainly always feel it when I even just jump on camera with you. There's this instant, oh, there's that space for me, you know, and I love that. It's really beautiful to be able to do that for people. Yeah, and, and I would say the same thing for you, Marie. Um, like Thank I said, you. when when, uh, when you interviewed me, that was exactly the experience that I had and, and it's mm. fantastic. And, and we Thank need you. to... Well, I believe we need to normalize this more because there are so many yes. people out there who do this naturally and don't realize that they do it, mm. which is part of that thing that keeps us stuck. Anyway, we might come back to that because sure. I want to. I want to then go. You mentioned um, you mentioned Rob, but I, I don't want to make mm. an assumption to the answer to this question. But I am <laughs> going to ask you if you look at your sure. whole life, what was the moment where everything changed? Oh wow. That's a loaded question. I can, I could feel this whole myriad of things that came to mind. Um, there were a lot of moments that were quite life-changing for me, uh, childhood moments that were life-changing. Uh, my dad's passing when I was 20 was very life-changing for me, very life-changing. And to the point where even now where I'm dealing with this whole, you know, <laughs> creating this path for us, that loving love after uh, Rob's passing, after loss, um, where I realize so many hidden gifts that I have received through my dad's passing that I was even not aware until Rob passed and I started using them or I started becoming aware of them, which is incredible. I'm going to, I'm going to mention quickly one simple example that is so huge, even though it's simple, it's so huge. I never had the chance to say goodbye to my dad and it, it really haunted me for a long time and it was really hard for me to accept and learn to accept the fact that I did not get the chance to say goodbye to him. Um, he passed very shortly after my 20th birthday, uh, 12 days after. And um, it was something that taught me in a most brutal way, in a most direct way, in a most rawest way to live a life with no regrets. I never ever left a chance um you know, un, unused or if that's the right word to say to somebody what I feel for them. You know, I, I tell people all the time 
how amazing they are or something really beautiful that they do. Even strangers on the street, my boys are so so used to it now, like that I walk past and tell the lady, oh, my God, your dress is so beautiful. It makes your smile look even brighter or things like that, you know, little compliments uh, or when somebody's got a really beautiful smile or a couple in particular, oh, my God, I love love. So I tell couples all the time, you two just look so incredible together. You've got such a beautiful energy, whatever. I just tell people all the time. So it resulted in Rob and I living a relationship of no regrets. When Rob passed, even though it was completely sudden, and again, I did not have the chance to say goodbye to him, I didn't feel the need for it at that stage because I had said everything to him that I needed to say. And I did not ever feel, oh, my God, I wish I would have said, I wish I didn't do, I wish I, you know, I had none of that. So I feel really, really privileged to not have any regrets because a lot of people have that when somebody passes. And that is a gift that I received through my dad's passing. Do you know what I mean? So simple, 100%. yet huge in the outcome. I, I really love that. I feel very privileged um, to have that. Beautiful. And that's what I love about you is that you do, like you let people know where they're at and, mm. and you can feel how heartfelt that is which is uh mm. yeah we talked Thank before you. we jumped on we talked about celebration and and yeah <laughs> and i feel like this interview is going to be a lot about that is like i really, really want to celebrate that again for you because it's, it's you. a underutilized and undervalued um, mm. way of living i nearly said tool it's not a tool i mean yeah. it is a tool but yeah. it's just yeah. a way of being and and, and that's amazing mm. now i'm going to word this this way uh and I know you'll be able to receive it the right way. For the listeners, um, this is not the first conversation that Marie and I have had, so I'm not going to say this mm. this way without knowing that this will be okay. Um, when you answer that question about what was the moment that changed everything, now clearly mm. losing your partner is going to have a massive mm. impact. Yeah. It does feel like that because you'd already been through grief, it, it wasn't mm. the same impact as actually losing your dad. Is it fair mm. to say that when, if we look through that lens, that that was really the moment? Because I think about all the things you've done in your life since that moment of your dad's yeah. life. Is it, is oh, it, or is huge. It, that, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, 100%. It was definitely uh, the biggest change in my life. And also because, you know, we talk about that previously in terms of milestones, et cetera, and, and things that led to it. And this, like if I had to pick one, life-changing moment is really hard because you know there's the birth of your children that is huge that is life-changing absolutely yet in terms of really significant change uh, that has an impact on not just me not just my boys but really the entire planet I'm, I'm playing it really big here but this is my mission um, that was Rob's passing 100% yeah yeah um, yeah that's beautiful are you okay if I just ask you some more questions around that time with well, your dad's Yeah, person. absolutely. You can ask me whatever. I'm an open book here. <laughs> can you can you remember back to that time? Like for me, like my dad's yeah. passing, it is so etched in my memory. Different mm. different moments. I, I mentioned yeah. some of those when you interviewed me about like the, the where mm. my head went. And like I can't believe yeah. that that's what I was thinking at the time. But mm. can you remember some of the thoughts that that came up for you? And, and those moments of like, you know, just, yeah, what sort of, yeah. what came up for you in terms of your own, 
way of acting, maybe showing different insecurities or fears or, yeah. or anything? Oh, I seriously, Ian, I was not equipped at all. When my dad died, I was not equipped to deal with it. <laughs> Saying that out loud, it's like, you saw where, Marie? But, you know, I didn't feel I was equipped, you know. Like, yeah. seriously, I, I still remember. And it's really, it's really so... Um, beautiful and emotional for me to say that because I've actually um, just for everybody for context I've got my mom sitting down there in the living room and I'm looking down because usually I would be downstairs in my office which is now my guest room while she's standing here so I'm, I'm up here in my master bedroom I've set up my, my little office office space and I'm looking at my mom thinking you know this is incredible because she was the one who walked into uh my apartment and told me that my dad had passed and uh, also for context for context like my two sisters and me and there's five of us as two more brothers my two sisters and me were living in the same house like my parents but we all had our own apartment already so my mom knocked on the door and she walked in and told me that my dad had passed you know and I also vividly remember I had this loft bed that my dad had built he was a, a construction engineer and uh, I jumped off the loft bed. I didn't even use the ladder. I jumped off the loft bed and hugged my mom. And I said, we can do this. I still remember that. And from that moment on, I took over because I knew that she didn't have the strength. And for whatever reason, I knew that I did. And I didn't think this through clearly. I didn't think those words, oh, I have the strength and she doesn't or whatever. I just felt it. I knew it. It was like an intuition that just took me and I, I went with it. So we drove to the hospital. Like I was the one driving out to the countryside afterwards after I saw my dad in hospital. I still remember because his body was still warm. And that is really, it, it sounds full on talking about this, but I remember holding his hand and because he was warm, I literally felt as if he was squeezing my hand. And I know it's physically not possible, but that's what I felt clearly. And I still remember the feeling in my hand when I when I felt that and I also remember that I was the one who covered him with the sheet when we left and it's such a closure gesture to do that because I did not want a nurse to do that as part of her job I wanted to be the one who, d who did that and then I drove out to the countryside. Well, my boyfriend at the time, we'd been together for two and a half years. You know, my dad was like a father figure to him. Uh, he drove out with me to the countryside because my brother had just moved and didn't have a, a phone line yet. So we couldn't even reach him. We had to drive out. And I remember driving there and it, it was such a small country town. So luckily people um, in the local little pub knew where, where he lived. And we drove there and I, I walk into the garden to his house and the garden was full of balloons and everything. And I was like, Oh my God, he yeah, had the housewarming party with a hundred guests that day. And I walked in and had to tell him this. It was unbelievable. I still get emotional now when I talk about this because he was so intense yet. I was the one doing all this and I was the youngest in the family. So it was really, I just took over. I took all of that on because I knew I had to, it, it just felt like this was my duty to do that. Yeah. Um, at this point, I'd usually ask uh, a question, but I'm, I'm going to just mm -hmm. tell you what came through because I know you'll sure, get please. this. Yeah. It felt to me like that moment of you just instinctively jumping down and, and supporting your mum mm. was because, yes, in your heart, you knew that that's what 
you were meant to do and that's what you were built mm. for. In a way, it kind of feels like the sadness, the wave of sadness that came over me when you were telling that story, mm. it's probably, it feels like a combination of how much of other people's stuff you took on at that time and perhaps. Yes. Oh, you're actually, so spot on. Maybe, maybe more of that. I was going to say maybe you didn't grieve enough, but maybe it's, mm. maybe you grieved. You were, you were going through grief in your own way, but it was more like, did you identify that? And if so, like, how did that play out for you? Because, like, I did, but way too late. Or, or, yeah. Mm. I did identify it and I did way too late. And honestly, I, I have to say, after my dad passed, it took about a year, a year where I was really just reeling, just not knowing who I was and what to do and who I wanted to become. And, you know, I, I was in the middle of a two year um, advertising college that I went to. So, you know, literally he passed in the school holidays and I still had another year to get through. I have no idea how I would have gotten through if the teachers literally didn't carry me through that year. They were so supportive. And I remember after that year, a very close friend of mine, Isa, thank you so much if you ever listen to this. And I've said it to her so many times in life. I thanked her for that. Uh, she really took me under her wings and she recommended a book to me that I read back then that also led me, and that was the aim of the book, uh, to start therapy. And literally a year after my dad's passing, I started doing therapy. And in, in a course of 10 years was on and off breaks, like there were like a year or two where I didn't do anything. And then I went back and uh, I tried different forms of therapy, group therapy, gestalt, um, you know, just talking. It was really incredible work that has been done there. And during that time, and I'm so grateful I did this, I, I cannot recommend this highly enough for anyone to really seek out help from the outside, whether that's a counselor, whether that's a coach, a psychiatrist, whatever you need, what feels right for you. Trust your gut, feel and trust your heart when you meet someone, if you feel like they're helping you or not, because you're always right in here, okay? So through all of that work that I did, I realized that that exactly what you just picked up was the key moment where I took on so much more than was mine, so much more than I could carry. That whole we can do this together resulted in a very unhealthy relationship that my mom and I lived for a really long time. And only through Rob's passing, only actually through a book that I got recommended, again, a book, it's really interesting, um, about half a year ago, I healed my relationship with my mom after all these years. You know, it's been incredible. And having her here is such a pleasure now. It never felt like that before. You know, it really was a very different experience before. Uh, not that it wasn't a pleasure, but it was not pure, if that makes sense. So it was it really, does. yeah, there was a lot of heaviness that has just lifted now. And I love it. It's really, it's really beautiful. Yeah, and, and and the point you make then is really is really powerful because mm. we can have a great relationship with someone, but when there's that underlying stuff that maybe at the time we don't even understand, but we just yeah. know there's something not quite oh, right. Certainly didn't. Yeah. 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 And, and that and it's what a blessing that you get to now go through that journey with your mum mm. together because I know that's yeah. the bit that I I wasn't able to do with my dad is I wasn't yeah. able to move through my own mm. stuff there because yeah. in the early days it was all blamed towards him, but mm. me moving through my own stuff of 
whatever I had going on through that. Mm. And really that's all of our own journeys, right? Like we, mm. We're taking responsibility for the part of yeah. that we can. Yeah. I feel very drawn to say one thing, Ian, that just came up for me. I'm just going to trust my, my instinct here. I, um, for a very long time, I'm talking years here, really years or maybe even decades after my dad passed, I felt like I was running around like a preacher, you know, like with every, again, particularly in my early 20s, telling all of my friends that were literally, excuse my French here, bitching about their parents, going like, please make peace with your parents, please do this, please do that. And I was always on and on about how important it is. And now that you still got them, and I was very much coming from a poor me perspective, from a victimhood yeah. perspective. Um, I was in my early 30s when I realized that most of my life I've spent in victimhood perspective and I didn't like it, so I changed it. Uh, but you need to recognize it for first before you can change it, you know. So I was running around for like a good decade telling everyone you need to make peace you need to make peace and then it hit me like a ton of bricks and i think it actually happened outside of my balcony i kind of feel like i still remember that that feeling where i'm like omg here am i preaching to everyone else yet i haven't healed my relationship with my mom because my only focus was on my dad and how i didn't have the chance and how i missed and how i was victimhood victimhood and then all of a sudden i was like ha all right, you've got some work to do, ladies. So I'm like, <laughs> put it back to me. You know, everything you teach is always a lesson for yourself as well. And I love that once you recognize and accept that in, it's beautiful. A hundred percent. And the thought that comes through, I'm glad you did share that because the thought that comes mm. through is, as you were saying, that is, if I look at my own journey is we spend all this time because I think anyone who's been through a big change falls into that same yeah. trap. They They yeah. just like... I don't want anyone else to go through that. So I'm going to go out yeah. there and tell everyone and people yeah. don't want to be told. And your focus like, gets a bit sticky as well. Yeah. It does. Yeah, absolutely. Because mm-hmm. well-meaned, well-meaning. And yeah. the thought that came through is when like, you know, make peace with your parents. Mm-hmm. My own journey was realizing that it wasn't about me making peace with anyone. It was about yeah. me making peace with myself. And so I don't know if that resonates with you too. Oh yes. 100%. Of course it does. I love it. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, can we can we talk more about that relationship with your dad in those early years? Yeah, absolutely. What was that relationship like? And are there things? So yeah. Are there things now that you look back on and go, "Oh, that probably could have been different." I luckily have no regrets with the relationship with my dad really don't um i had many moments after he passed i'm like i wish he'd still be around like every time when i had you know a huge epiphany or uh, a huge release around something that i've been carrying around for way too long i wish i could have shared that with him but i i always have this you know what he's got pole position anyway he's got the balcony view you know he gets it so i'm, I'm quite at peace with that and i'm just like thanks you know thank you so much for holding the space for guiding me on the wrong path uh, on the right path and and it's just something uh so in in my upbringing till about the age of 12 i was very much you know mom focused and then after like from 12 ish onwards my focus was fully like my dad. I became daddy's girl. Absolutely. I was just so drawn to him. I loved the wisdom that he had, the calmness that he had. He had such a presence. Like 
people just adored him. He was just one of those people that people naturally adored. And he was so modest about everything. You know, he had all these titles that he never used. And he was always like, can you just not use them? Um, you know, he always just used his first name. It's like, I'm Norbert. Can you just not, you know, have the doctor, blah, 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 all these, I don't even know what all these titles are called in English, but anyway, yeah, yeah. he was always like, it's Norbert. Can you just, you know, and I love that about him, that he was so modest about who he was and, um, and people were just naturally drawn to him. So that's why I was so drawn to him. I just so wanted to be like him. I, I loved his calmness, his presence, and um, any excuse, you know, to spend quality time with him. It was usually walking in the ice cold in the snow with our dog in winter, and um, but it meant quality time with him and I. So there were a lot of stargazing and deep talks about life you know, walking our dog. So I really have beautiful memories of that. So it, it hit me really hard when he passed. I'm like, hold on, <laughs> I needed so much more of you. <laughs> you just, yeah. you can't leave me. And um, yeah, I see it very differently now. But uh, back then I was not equipped with those perspectives that I have now. Mm, that, that line that you said there, I, I needed so much more of you, I think. Mm. Well, I know so many people, I'm sure the people you help as well, that's part of what's going on is like that. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, yeah. Can't, can't be over. Big like, one. Yeah. 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 I might come back to that because I wanted to touch on something else. It's like clearly, clearly you have the ability to help absorb people's emotions. And mm. from my experience, is that we learn this behavior from a really young age. Like yeah. I know for me, I was absorbing from in the womb based on these reoccurring nightmares I've had that have taken me back there. Yeah. 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 So we come, it's we come so back. Fascinating. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. We mm. come back. Um, we look back on our life and we realize that, well, not look necessarily look back, but this, this is what I've learned. I just want to see how this resonates with you. Sure. We become, we get celebrated when I say celebrated uh, the feedback we get from life is that when we help other people to deal with their emotions, mm. that gives us whatever need we need. Yeah. So mm. for me, can I got connection if there was a time where I wasn't getting it by picking a fight and mm. at least I got attention because that was, my yeah. journey of feeling like I wasn't getting attention. So it got yeah. validated through attention. It's only mm. now that I realized that, well, it actually came through when, when I was watching my son do the same thing. He was picking a fight yeah. with wow. me when, when he could tell there was something going on for me, maybe not consciously, but unconsciously. Yeah. And I found myself reacting and then I realized like, oh, wow. wow. That's he's, he's repeating. Doing. Yeah, that's what he's yeah. doing. And what Isn't happens for people, well, it is, but also yeah. – we live a life where we feel responsible for how everyone else feels. And it shows mm-hmm. up in what you described, which is, when you're, <laughs> yeah, yeah, when, you're, when your dad passes, you step mm. into that responsibility role and mm-hmm. you take on that responsibility to make sure everyone else is yeah. okay. Yeah. So but I, need to, I need to say this, you know, sorry, I, I know I'm interrupting you, that, that responsibility, if you have that, you use it and you use it so much more than you sometimes actually need to, you know, so it's, it's really quite amazing picking that out. Sorry. For no, that's fine. That's actually, it's a great point. It fits in beautifully mm-hmm. because it is a gift. 
And so yeah. we're not talking about it but being a bad always. thing. Well, yeah. well, it, it is. A it's just a curse at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. As long as we're managing like any gift in, in the right way. Yeah. And so for me, it played out in like like people pleasing. Always needing mm. to be responsible for having us feeling. Mm. So I'll go around and make sure everyone's okay. It uh, yeah. it played out in FOMO. Yeah. So if there's something mm-hmm. going on, I have to be there because what, yeah. what will I miss out on? So like, what what sort of can you identify patterns for you that have played out with that sort of uh, natural f- responsibility for how people are feeling uh, behavior? Mm. Oh, wow. I felt responsible from a very, very young age for the peace and happiness in our family. I took on this responsibility uh, literally. I kind of feel like I was born with it. I was born into it. Um, and you will love this, Ian, because I'm not really sure if you know this about me, but I was born into a family um, of four that then became a family of five kids. And people often ask me, you know, where do you sit? You know how people always say, oh, every every uh, number of sibling has also got, you know, certain behaviors, et cetera, et cetera. And I always tell them, well, when they ask me what number are you, I'm like, I'm number one, number four, or number five, depending on how you look at it. And there was like, what i'm like okay so i'm the youngest of five so it makes me number five uh, i was the fourth one to come into the family so it makes me number four in that case but i was the first one who was who was born into the family and then they start to click and i was like oh okay so i had three adopted siblings that came before me uh first one at the age of four and then uh, uh, my brother was four a year later my two sisters who were three and one then 16 months later i was born and then two years later my eldest brother came into the family at the age of 11. So that in itself is already, you know, a dream for any psychologist <laughs> to work through seriously. Yeah. But it's really quite interesting when you look at it. So I was um, coming into the family as the only one born into the family and that made me automatically an outsider in my own family. <sighs> family constellation perspective. Like I've done so much work around it, believe me. I'm, I'm like literally loving this myself now, working through this because so often I'm like, oh, okay, that's why. Oh, okay, that's why. Oh, yeah, that's the firstborn syndrome. Yeah, of course I do that because. And it, it makes so much more sense. It helps me to understand me better, why I react in a certain way. And that's why I was the one who took on all the responsibilities when my dad passed. That's why all my older siblings, where I was hoping that they would help me grow up and protect me when I grow up and I have somebody to come to because they're all older than me, it was vice versa. They all came to me. My eldest brother came crying to me when he wanted to visit my dad's grave first because he couldn't do it on his own. So, you know, I took on both of my brothers, uh, not at the same time, but for like half a year or a year that lived with me when they were going through uh, stuff in their life. And I did it wholeheartedly and happily, yet I kept taking on way too much for my age and for my position. I was always like, so who's looking after me? I, I grew up with that. So who's looking after me, you know, not consciously, but now. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, this is great. Because we're starting <laughs> I knew you'd like to. <laughs> yeah. uh, How yeah. long have we got? How many hours? Yeah, so. like, like those listening can't see, but the, yeah. the notes I'm scribbling on it, like this could go on for days. Uh, but uh, did your parents parent 
you or the adopted kids differently? And I ask from this perspective, mm. a friend of mine said how he was the adopted child and he felt yeah. like his parents just tried to pander to him so that he would feel included but he, he yes. described it similar to exactly what you said. Oh, yeah, actually, you so actually much for saying felt, that. Yeah, felt like the outsider because mm-hmm. he wasn't getting treated as the same as the other people, yeah. and that has played yeah. out for different things in his future. Yeah, I so agree, and I had this discussion with my mom as well. I'm looking, I'm looking over to her again. Um, she's so completely oblivious to what's going on here. I love it. Uh, probably she feels it energetically. I don't know. I'll have a touch with her oh, later. Definitely. But, uh, definitely. but I actually said that to her. I said, I know for a fact that you treated me differently to my siblings. And and she often said, you know, it's like, um, and, and she said it herself. She said, sometimes I had the feeling that I wasn't giving you all the attention that you needed out of fear that they could feel like I'm giving you more or whatever. And I can so relate to that because I'm a mom myself now. Now now I understand. You know, growing up as a teenager, you're like, I know what you're talking about, mom. I know, I know. You know, you grow up thinking that you know it all, but you just don't. You just don't till you're a parent yourself. I can absolutely vouch for that no matter how much you think you know you don't know until you go through it. The love that you feel, the fears that you have, the worries of not being fair or treating them unfairly or one thinking that you love the other more or, you know, all these things that you have in your head, it's it's just a natural thing. Every parent goes through that. No parent can tell me that they don't ever think that or never had this thought before. Everybody goes through it. It's how you deal with it. It's probably different in, in every situation. Yet, going through that now, having two sons that are so different and also being a sole parent now. Before I had Rob there, we were like, you go and deal with Flynn and I deal with Jed and vice versa and then we swap. Now now it's just me. There, There is no splitting myself. I have to take one over the other first or whatever and I try to keep it as fair as possible. But do they always feel it's fair? Definitely not. Both of them had feelings where I'm like, oh, you always prefer him and you always prefer him. no. It's just situation and I'm only human too and I'm okay with that now. But it took me a long time to be able to go like, you know what, I own it. I make mistakes. I'm human. It's just, you know. So, yes, certainly, certainly did um, parent differently. I'm absolutely convinced about that even if my mom did not want to accept that fact. Like when I said to her um, that there is a different bond that you have with adopted kids or with your own child, um, and she did not want to accept that um, as a fact, as a truth. And, and so obviously it's not her truth and that's fine. I never had the chance to talk to my dad about it. So I, I can't really tell what, um, yeah, what he said about that. Mm. Or felt or thought. Just listening to you talk then, every child's going to have a moment where they feel like it's not fair because oh, yeah. we, we all have needs that aren't being met. And then we become yeah. big kids as adults, not and still, yeah, yeah, still not having. <laughs> and I, yeah. I think that probably responsible for a lot of the tension that goes on in the world, and particularly online, because there's mm-hmm. that sense of it's not fair because yeah. someone's getting something that I'm not, and it's just yeah. amazing how these patterns can play out. I, I'm curious yeah. about like your children. Mm-hmm. Clearly. Like I feel this deeply. Clearly, you are extremely gifted. Now, I say this, everyone is extremely gifted. In this particular space around emotions and 
when you were talking about your family, like mm-hmm. your intuitive abilities and uh, space holding abilities, it's it's no surprise to me that, that you are having such an impact for the people that you help. I wonder, do your children, well, I know your children have not just similar abilities, but probably even more advanced because of the space you've been able to provide <laughs> oh, for them. thank you. It's how does that response. show up? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, how does that show up and, and how is that challenging for you um, mm. given that that's just a reality of when we go on these journeys? Yeah. So obviously I'm biased. I have to put that up front. I, I think my children are freaking amazing. I really do. I also do know that they are very gifted and they have been before Rob died and that has just really amplified after Rob's passing. So Jed, my little one, he's now, he was eight when Rob died. He's now 12. He is a huge empath. He really has this absolute gift, like beyond measure, to feel people's emotions, to um, understand things that people are going through for his age, which is really, really incredible. He had that from very, very young age. Like I really feel he was born with that or he took it on, um, I don't know. But it was just really something that really stood out for me. Absolute huge heart, empath, um, yeah. Flynn, my older son, he was 10 when Rob died. He's now uh, 14. He was pure energy when he was born. Bounce, bounce, bounce. And then, of course, when the second son came along, this whole, uh, you know, attention-seeking behavior and and having all of a sudden there's somebody else who wants love. And you are aware of the whole five love languages, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Here am I, Rob, being physical touch and acts of services, me being physical touch and quality time, having the first son where we had no idea at first, never thought about it at that, at that age. Only when Jed came along and dynamics started to change, I looked into the love languages. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, uh, Jed, my little one, physical touch. So he got his love tank filled automatically with two parents who've got physical touch as a main love language. And Flynn, on the other hand, he shares one with Rob, which is acts of services and quality time. So his physical touch, it was like nothing. He's like he just felt he was missing out all the time. And with having quality time as one of his main love languages, he constantly felt like since this guy came along, I'm missing out. So there was huge jealousy. There was huge attention-seeking behavior. And fast forward through Rob's passing, which – resulted in Flynn being the oldest male in the family all of a sudden at the age of 10. Wow. And no matter how much I said to him, Flynn, you're still a child and it's okay to be a child. You don't have to take on dad's duties. You don't have to. But on the other hand, he was the oldest male in the family all of a sudden. You need to honor that too. And finding that balance of allowing him to stay a child and naturally owning what has happened is huge. It was really challenging for me to allow him both and to hold space for him to be able to do both. And the transition that happened, I'm having goosebumps all the way down my right side saying this, the transition that happened for Flynn in particular between 10 and 14, going through his natural, becoming a teenager, everything, losing his dad, all of these things at once, you know, he now is the most calming rock in our family. 
He's got such a beautiful, calming presence. The presence that this child has is incredible. He's not even aware of it. I keep telling him how beautiful he is. And I'm not just saying from the outside. It's just, I'm, you, you can tell I'm a full on proud uh, mama bear, the mom in shining armor. So yeah, I, yeah. I really think it's incredible the gifts that they have. And it really shows when you see them with other kids, the depths that my kids go to in terms of empathy, in terms of picking up where people are at. I had the most deepest conversations with Jed about, um, I had a relationship after Rob for 14 months and the breakup and, and the whole, you know, Jed was like, I told you, I told you hearing that from your son about your relationship uh-huh. at the age of 11, 12, very fascinating, 11. So we had this conversation about, being told something about a person or having to experience it yourself and what lessons are in there was such a deep conversation. So beautiful. And I used one of his friends as an example that I always felt didn't have a great influence on him, but he really loves hanging out with him. So I talk about the gifts that people bring in, even if they might not be good for you for the rest of your life. And that was so beautiful to have the conversation at the age of 11. It's just, it just blows me away, you know, and he really got it. It's like, far out, mom. I really get it. And hearing that from your 11-year-old son is like, yes, love it. High five. <laughs> so good. I've got to tell you this because when I, the thought came to me, I just got full body goosebumps. So yeah. you described your younger one as empath. Yeah. Oh, massive. Your eldest, Jed. Yeah. No, the oldest his... is Flynn. Oh, Flynn. The Jed oldest... is the younger one, yeah. The eldest Flynn uh, mm-hmm. has the same depth of that yeah. empathy. It's oh, just yes. how it's demonstrated yes. back is mm-hmm. through that lens of, like you said, the love language. Yeah. And it's really fascinating because mm-hmm. we're really similar in, in, in our mm-hmm. two children, similar differences, similar yeah. ways they express it, and a realisation. How old are yours, Ian? Uh, one just turned eighteen, which is which yeah. is exciting. Um, probably yeah. nerve wracking for a for a mum, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah. no, no, we've we've we've. I mean, I think what's really clear is as you go on the healing journey that you have is that one of the the key areas that improves is your parenting, and yeah. I just can't not and providing mm-hmm. a space for our children to be able to go and learn all the things that we didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, is so helpful for them. So, yeah, 118, yeah. 115. And mm-hmm. just watching those similar things happening. And and for the longest time, I'm thinking, oh, one's very much like this and one's very much like this. It's like actually they're more yeah. similar than what I think. It just, it's mm-hmm. how it shows up through those different patterns. Yeah. So, I love I, that you like, say that. So true. Yeah. So, so I'm curious, like, what they would both think about that. Like, mm-hmm. I imagine you've had conversations about empathy and their ability to, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, to be responsible for other people's stuff and how important it is for them to not realize that they have to be because mm-hmm. that's something that, that both the minor drifted into similar patterns as their, their yeah. parents, which is wanting to be able to help so many people but to their own detriment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to share one, uh, one conversation that I had with my boys and it was about a year after Rob died and interesting enough it happened like right here um Flynn was sitting here on the on the window seat and um I was in the room yeah I think I was just folding washing whatever 
And all of a sudden, the conversation came up that I so wanted to have with the boys and did not know how to approach it. And Flynn was the one who addressed it. Flynn has got the ability to bring conversations up straight to the point, like really, like there's no mucking around. He just brings it up and I'm always so grateful because I'm like, I would have never said that. I had a very different reason why I wouldn't have brought it up because it was the conversation about what would happen to them if something was to happen to me. And uh, after Rob died, I did certainly not want to me be the one bring up the conversation because I thought if I bring up the conversation, I would bring up fear in them. Oh my God, something could happen to mom as well now, you know, and they might've not even thought about this. So it was not my place to bring that up yet. It was my absolute heartfelt wish to talk to them about it. And then of course, Flynn brought it up and it brought up the most beautiful conversation between the three of us, you know, how I said, look, as we all know, we don't have any guarantee of how long anyone will be around. However, I do have the feeling that I will live a long and healthy and happy life. I always had that feeling. And I said to Jed, I remember it. I think it was even Jed who brought it up. I can't remember now. It doesn't really matter. But it was that whole, um, I always had the feeling that I would live up to 93. And Jed was like, 93? Why is that? I said, I don't know, maybe just because I always had this thing with the, you know, numbers in threes happening all my life, you know, the whole, um, I I don't know what it is. It's the three of us now. It's like Rob died on the 12th of June, 2018. It's all in threes. My dad passed away on the 12th of the 9th. It's everything. And he was born on the 15th of the 12th. So I've always been followed by number 12 and 15, 12 and 15. Both my dad and Rob were born on the 15th. Both my dad and Rob died on the 12th. They are so similar. They couldn't, like, they never met, but they are so similar. It's ridiculous. So we're having this conversation. I said, I don't know, maybe it's because I have this thing with threes, but I always felt like 93. And all he had to say was like, do you think you can make it to 100? And I said, you know what? I'll try. (laughs) And that was my whole, I want to live a healthy and happy life so that I can grow up watching my kids grow up watching my kids become parents and you know all these things I want to be a grandma I want to meet my grandkids I just you know this is all this stuff that there's so much to live for I want to do that and then came the one sentence that I have no words to describe it and I don't think I need any I'm just going to say what it was and you'll feel it how impactful that was for me to hear that and that came from Flynn and I actually asked his permission to share that in interviews because I thought it was just so incredible. Flynn looked at me and he said, Mom, I have something I need to say to you and I don't know how. And I instantly, you know, you just feel the heaviness of it. And I said, what is it, Flynn? You can tell me anything. And I know my heart was pounding, you know, and I'm trying to be as cool as possible and hold space for him. And I'm like, just, you know, what is it? And he said those words to me. He said, You know, I feel that our lives have sort of gotten better since that past. My heart drops in that instant and I'm still looking, like nodding on the outside, looking at him going like, what on earth? And he said, and it's not because he passed. It's because of what you made of it. And I was like, I was so flawed. This was the biggest gift that he could have given me. He has no idea how much that meant to me. And I know that I will revisit that conversation at an appropriate time. And I had asked him, we have revisited it, but not 
not since, uh, you know, I asked him if I was allowed to share this because I felt it meant so much to me. And I think it would also give a lot to people hearing this, what a shift it can have when you do choose happiness in your life, because that's what it is. Healing is a choice. Happiness is a choice. And I took that choice every single day after Rob died because that's what we wanted. So hearing that from my then 11-year-old son, it absolutely floored me. It Literally, it was such a proof for me that I had done the right thing. And as a parent, I don't need to explain to you what that meant for me. You know, I I could have just cried. I just hugged him and I was like, Thanks, babe. It's just, you know, it was incredible, absolutely incredible mm. gift. I didn't feel any heaviness through that. All I felt was <laughs> unbelievable joy. Yeah. And, yeah. And I don't understand. It was just it, the way where he said that, you know, I've got yeah. something I need to tell you. And I was like, oh, the heaviness was gone after he said that, I can promise you. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't yeah. know how all this works, but I know that there is – some divine reason for all of these different things that we experience and mm. like what a gift. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. <laughs> and it's, mm. Oh, that's taken my breath mm. away. That, that is magic. <laughs> and Same. I don't know if you, if you intentionally guide your clients on this, but to me, this is the part that a lot of people get stuck on is yeah. finding that life can be better. Yeah. And you're yeah. a living, breathing example of that because I, I imagine the first time when your dad passed, that wasn't the case. No, absolutely not. And when you're I able- was more in survival mode, but definitely not in striving or living or enjoying loving yeah. life, you know. Yeah. And I think I shared this on on your podcast when I talked about having that moment where where I was looking at it from a perspective of the of the young fellow that I was managing at at uh, work at the time. And, yes, and yes, that realization. Absolutely. Oh, maybe maybe he got everything he needed. And yes, and then, I and know, then, and that touched me so deeply. That was my one of my biggest takeaways uh, with the interview with you. I oh, I loved it. Mm. I'm not sure if I mentioned this at the time, but what's coming through now is like. And then trying to rationalize that with my dad's passing mm. and finding that my the full body experience confirming that it was true, but the logic yeah. part of my brain going, how can that possibly be a good thing? Mm. How could it possibly yeah, say that in a podcast? It was beautiful. And, and like you just said, then it's nothing like hearing from the purity of a child to mm. say, not because they're gone, mm. but because of how you've dealt with it. Mm. Like, that if if there's any message for people to take from this podcast, it's exactly what Marie's just shared then from like that the innocent, pure love response from your son, like mm. that's bringing so much emotion through it. There's so much yeah. beauty and power and strength. <laughs> like what an what an unbelievable gift. Mm. He is absolutely. Ooh. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm drawn to uh, asking about 
your mum, uh, mm-hmm. and I know she's sitting there, so I'll let you yeah. navigate this whatever way you feel. Absolutely. Is there part of you that took on a bit of the role that your dad played for your mum, given you were oh, yeah. so similar? Yeah, and yeah, 100%. Do you think, if you think back now, and I know you guys have had moments of, of working through this, but if you think back now, do you think that would have been challenging for your mum? Maybe not consciously, maybe consciously, but maybe unconsciously mm-hmm. that like you just reminded her so much of your dad? I honestly don't think so. I think it was more a blessing in that. And and not saying, oh, I was such a blessing. Just from a mom's perspective myself now, I think it is a blessing because I see that in Flynn now. Flynn so reminds me of Rob. Like physically everything is like it's literally and, and the other thing is both my boys have been wearing nothing but Rob's T shirts for the last four years. And that, that is something that I can't and don't want to change. They're literally falling off them already. They're just so old and baggy now. But I cannot change that because I know how much they need it. And I know that will naturally change over time, but I'm not forcing it. So seeing, I, I almost wanted to say Rob, see, that's the thing. Seeing Flynn walk around in Rob's pants, in his in his uh, jumpers, in his T-shirts, and literally filling out that because he's got that physique as well now. He's actually... Um, three centimeters taller than Rob was. Now he's grown so much. He had so many growth spurts. Uh, he went from being shorter than me to being taller than Rob in the last four years. So that is a blessing for me. It's never a challenge. And I think that I can speak for my mom as well, that it would have been a blessing for her as well. So what, what I feel happened between my mom and I, it was not so much that I was taking on the role of my dad in our relationship. I feel that my mom and my relationship flipped from being parent-daughter, if that makes sense. So she came to me for advice for everything. How do I cook this? How What should I wear for that? And I'm like, you were the one who taught me all of this. Why, why are you coming to me? But I understand that now she needed attention. She needed help. She needed that nurturing part. And she was seeking that from me because I was closest to her and she didn't have that from my dad anymore. And I understand that part so well now. You know, when we talk about in a preset and I'm like, oh my God, I'm bragging, you know, about all these things that have been happening. But at the same time, I'll, I'll just, I'm just so happy to be able to share with someone who understands it. And you're like, no, 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 I get it. And because I don't have that in my life anymore, as in, you know, Rob would always be the one put me on a pedestal and, and go like, go babe, that is awesome, you know, and and that is not there anymore because, as I said, my boys are not as excited about, you know, when a certain TV channel contacts me that I'm not mentioning yet before the article is out and, <laughs> yeah. and things like that. You know, it's just it's exciting. It's amazing. It's beautiful when these things happen. And they do get excited, but they don't really understand the vastness of it or what that actually means or what impact that has. So in my mom, in my case, our relationship flipped between parent daughter it really flipped she came to me for every single advice she wanted and as in the role of my dad I took that on in the family more so than with the with the connection between me and my mom because he was a peacemaker he was the glue that held the family together after my dad died our family literally fell apart and unfortunately has never really fully recovered so I'm still to this day the only person who's got contact to everyone in the family, to all my siblings and to my mom. Um, between the siblings, there's hardly any contact. Between my siblings and my mom, very, very 
spare contact uh, if if at all. So it's really fallen apart. It, it's like this whole um, dynamic for our family was never healthy and we tried to pretend our entire life that it was, but it wasn't. And the truth always comes out and uh, it has fallen apart. It's sad to say, but I have accepted that now I stopped trying to fix something that maybe doesn't want to be fixed or it's not meant to be fixed. I'm not really sure. I'm not the one to make a judgment about that. I just know that my focus is somewhere else. My focus is on my family and keeping my family happy and, uh, and keeping my relationship with those who I want to have a relationship with and whoever wants to reciprocate that that's fine, you know, and everything else I let go of. I can't believe I'm saying that, but I did, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it only took me like four decades of uh, therapy to be able to say and do that. But yeah, I've gotten there in the end. Yeah. It doesn't mean you don't care. 30, it, doesn't, years, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't mean you don't care. It doesn't mean you don't want a relationship with yeah, them. It just means absolutely. that you, you, there's only so much you can do. And yeah. again, and one of the great challenges I think in, in life We've all experienced some kind of loss. We all have these different behavior patterns, uh, interesting family dynamics. Yeah. Ultimately, it comes, yeah, it comes back to what we talked about before is that we need to make peace with ourselves first or mm. there's no point trying to play that peacekeeping role, which, again, I can identify because yeah. I did that in so many different areas of my life. Mm. My wife's the same. And yeah. you do it to your own detriment. Mm. And that's like if I if I take anything from this chat, it's the space that you've created to be able to help your children with that. But but mm. as importantly, maybe more importantly, how open you are to learning from them mm. and receiving guidance from them oh, yeah. and embracing that. Again, what a gift. Our children really are our biggest teachers. Like seriously, it's so beautiful all the things that I can learn from them and yeah I love the relationship I have with them so good I was just waiting for anything else to flow through but I think we're done <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to say this uh, Marie and I'm, I know you'll take this the right way you said um, you're really big on saying what needs to be said and sharing whatever needs to be mm. said. So mm. I'm going to say this as a completely happily married man <laughs> from a purely from a human connection point of view. I love you. I appreciate you. Thank and you. I honour the work that you are doing in this world because you are truly making a massive difference, not just changing lives but changing the world so thank you for coming on here and, and sharing that. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much and so much love right back to you. I love the beautiful and very respectful pre-frame that you've given to that. There's really absolute mutual love here. And I really, really, really admire the work that you do, the space that you hold. And I just want to say thank you so much for the space that you held for me today for yeah, sharing my story in such a different way. I really love the intuition and what you have, the gift that you have to feel things and to ask the right questions at the right time. Love it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Before we go, for those listening, yeah. uh, particularly the uh, young widows perhaps, mm. 
where can they find you? Where can they forward, find out more about you and, and hear more of your journey and, and hear more about how yeah. potentially you can help them? I think the easiest would be my website. It's mariealessi.com. So you can see it here for those uh, watching, for those listening. It's M-A-R-I-E-A-L-E-S-S-I.com. mariealessi.com. It's my first and last name. And from there, you literally got all the links. There is the link to my group, Loving Life After Loss. There's the link to my books that I've written. Uh, that I've written uh, my TEDx talk, the journeys that I offer, the healing journeys, the, the grief program, the retreats that I run. So my next one's coming up in July. I love the work that I do and everything that I've done, uh, media. You can find everything on my website and you can even book a chat with me if you want that. So, yeah, that would be the best way to start, I guess. Brilliant. Awesome. Thank you so much, Marie. Again, I appreciate you coming on and um, I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thank you so much, Ian. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.